Colter Nuanas from ESPN Montana here at the M Store. Proud to present our Nuanas Now podcast each and every day, available on all of your various podcast hosting platforms. One of their awesome partners, a guy that really is uh, helping spread the word about the M Store, is Grizz All American Junior Bergen. What's up, man? Thanks for coming in. Yes, thank you for having me. First of all, you got a cool t shirt. What's it like being on a t shirt? You're a kid from Billings, Montana, so that, yeah. might, that must be kind of surreal knowing there's a t shirt of you at the M Store. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, I went to a couple basketball games back home. And uh, I saw some kids running around with I their love shirt it. on. And it was really surreal. It was a cool moment, cool experience for sure. Uh, that's so cool. You guys do such a good job of embracing how much the community loves you. But when people are looking up to you like they do, I mean, they think, I mean, you're the man right now. for <laughs> <laughs> the University of Montana. What's yeah. that like being a Montana kid? Um, it's different for sure. Um, you know, growing up, you kind of look up to guys like who are in the NFL totally. and stuff like that. But, um, you know, it's just great to have a, a positive influence on these kids' lives. Um, you know, I just wanted to make sure... Uh, I set the example and lead by example and give them someone to look up to. Go check out the M Store. They're located there at the corner of Higgins and Broadway here in the city of Missoula. And you can also visit anytime online, MontanaMStore.com. They have all the latest and greatest, a whole bunch of original Grizz gear. And of course, they have Junior Bergen t-shirts. Junior Bergen, proud partner with the M Store, as well as us here at ESPN Montana. Thanks for swinging by, man. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. The M Store, where they're all Grizz all the time. Hi, this is Kim from the Wingate in Missoula. If you need a break from the everyday same old, same old, we want to be your home away from home. With comfortable rooms, a great breakfast, and a super fun indoor water park, the Wingate of Missoula is the ideal place for a quick getaway without having to go away. Let us give your family a little quality time together or ask us about our birthday parties. Work like an adult, play like a child, and sleep like a baby at the Wingate of Missoula. Welcome back. Hopefully Godsmack's got you awake. I was going to say, is Reese angry today? I I told him yesterday. I was all (laughs) fired up because I was hanging out with football coaches all day yesterday. I said, nothing but Metallica, Guns N' Roses, and uh, Godsmack today, boys. And he abided. The dude abided, which is very good. Thank you very much, Reese. It is Nuanas Now, 1029 ESPN Missoula, as well as statewide on SWX Montana Television. Missed anything in the first hour of the show. You can check it out on the podcast. Podcast is available on all of your podcasting platforms, as well as just by going to our station website, 1029ESPN.com. You can also find the stream on the station website. All you got to do is click on Listen Live, and uh, you'll find the live feed. The stream is presented by Opportunity Bank of Montana. Opportunity Bank, your local bank, your opportunity. Now we go to the Rangers Brothers RV phone line as we do every other Tuesday. It is the business angle with Justin Angle. He is a professor of business at the University of Montana. And also I hear the proud father of a birthday girl. Justin, what's going on? And a happy birthday to your daughter. This is an exciting day for any kid to uh, to have a birthday, no matter what time of year it is. Indeed, yeah. Hey, fellas. Ainsley, my daughter, turned 11 today. And I was trying to, like, I couldn't, I, I didn't quite have the time to run the numbers on this. But we've been doing this, what, like three months, every other Tuesday. And now I've had two daughters come up for birthdays on Tuesdays, and it was happened to be a Tuesday where I was on the show. So fortuitous kickoff to a, a business angle, and uh, yeah, shout out to my daughter Ainsley. We gotta love it. Up with me, of course, man. We gotta love it. Well, we get it. We got a lot of stuff to get into, but one, this is a very interesting point, and this is one when you texted me about this earlier, Justin, that really 
struck to the core of, of my own personal experience because I, I've throughout my life and I haven't gotten into it in Missoula since I moved back. I need to, cause it's definitely one of my favorite uh, pastimes, but my seven years in Bozeman. And then before that, when I was still living in Missoula, I've umpired a lot. I've done a lot of umpiring for baseball from, you know, U 12 major boys all the way through American Legion ball. And it's one of my favorite things. I love doing it. Uh, I think it's a great way to contribute to the community, but it's also, it's a great challenge and it's very fun and it's just an awesome way to stay engaged in baseball, and it's a great way to be outside in the summer as well. But you brought a great point up. The Australian Open's going on right now, and they're using 100% electronic line judges. This, to me, is fascinating. And so uh, before we get into all the ways that this might matriculate throughout all sports, what's your general take on this, particularly when it comes to uh, tennis and the Australian Open? Well, it it is fascinating, and you know, it kind of makes me think. We this is an issue we think about a lot in business, and in particular in business education. It's sort of like this notion of the future of work. What what are we're preparing students for jobs that that we we don't really know what those jobs will be when they get there. And so there's a couple of different ways to think about it. You know, one one useful framework that a colleague of mine at the University of Massachusetts Lowell developed. I was thinking about the future work in terms of, when I say the future work, meaning like how disruptive is technology going to be to the work that you do? Um, you can think about it in terms of like, you know, what is the value that's being delivered? So for me, it's education for you, it, it's sports commentary, uh, journalism. So what, what is the value there? And what is the degree of threat to that value? And then another dimension you can think about it is how is that value being delivered? So for me, delivering in a classroom, for you, on a podcast or on a radio show or, you know, website, whatever, is there a threat to that way it's being delivered? And if you think about it in terms of sports, like what do we want out of officials, right? Officials in tennis in particular, you want precision, accuracy, and speed, right? Consistency over and over again, they got to get it right. There's not a lot of judgment involved in whether a ball is in or out. So that seems like, you know, given that framework, that's an obvious place where you're going to see disruption where technology replaces the human element. Other sports aren't quite so simple. There's a lot more judgment, and I'm sure we'll get into that. But it's, it's not surprising to me that tennis is kind of the first place where you're seeing this take hold. You know, these, these line judging machines have been around for years and years and years. They finally got to a point where I think it was last season the U.S. Open took a chance on them um, in some matches, and now you've seen the, the, the Australian Open go 100%. Wimbledon announced there they intend to follow suit. It's not surprising, and, and we don't know too much yet, but it seems like the players are kind of welcoming it. And we look at the time element side of things, too, and the, the human element. I mean, how do we balance it back and forth, Justin, too? Because I know we'll talk about tennis and how it has kind of grown the last couple of weeks with the Australian Open and getting used to it. I think the players still, because I'm staying up late and watching it because I love doing this at 1, 2 in the morning. There's two weeks a year that the Australian Open's on, and there's less confusion at all. I mean, the players are moving on. You don't see any spats back and forth with uh, officials, umpires, everyone in between, but but 
part of sports of what we like, and I, I go back to baseball here too, is just that human element that, yeah, it's 99% accurate or it might not be 100%. Exactly. So when we're balancing that back and forth, I mean, yes, at the end of the day, bottom line, we want accuracy, but how much of a cost to the human element side of things is that too? Do you think that that's going to be the conversation that we're having down the road here of, okay, yes, we do kind of admit that it will be 100% accurate if we use automated systems here, but we all love the human element of it, right? I mean, the debate that comes with sports and even certain calls. I mean, that's a huge part to me that I, I'm not sure I'm ready to move past yet. Where do you kind of stand with it? And do you see that that may be our conversation moving forward of more of, okay, is it 100% accuracy, accuracy or do we want that human element side of it too? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's in between, right? Both Both situations can be true. I don't think anybody enjoys it when, you know, a line judge gets it wrong. That's pretty binary. It's either in or it's out. There's no sort of human judgment. Whereas, like, you know, after a football game, people love to debate whether the refs got that pass interference call or no call right. Because um, those are areas where it's, it's less clear. It's less sort of, it's, it's more subject to um, the human element, as, as, as you described it. And I think there are areas of sport where, that human element and that human judgment will continue to be important, will continue to be critical, and at least in the time, in the, in the near term, probably not able to be replaced. It would be nice to think of, you know, if we manage this properly, maybe we can set umpires and referees up in positions where the entirety of their cognitive energy can be put on the side the human um, the human element and the stuff that can be automated, like let's not consume their energy and attention with that stuff. That's either right or wrong. If a machine can do it, fine, let the machine do it. Uh, the other stuff in between, let the refs focus on that. Justin Angle joining us. It's the Business Angle presented by Blackfoot Communications. We do this every other Tuesday during the 5 o'clock hour right here on Nuanez Now on 1029 ESPN Missoula. The biggest point of contention I have over all this, because I totally agree. I think that like line judges in tennis and things like that, okay, is it in or is it out? Uh, same thing with like in a basketball, if it's in or out. But then you get down to the judgment calls that come from, uh, you know, physical play in a basketball game. But to me, the most pertinent example here is the strike zone in baseball. Somebody that almost exclusively works behind the plate when I call games, there is a absolute uh, nuance and there's a delicate dance that goes into Baseball and strikes. I mean, Riley, you were a pitcher at American Legion Baseball. You know, right, you have to establish a rapport with the umpire to know what calls you're getting. And my strike zone is different every game based on the teams, what I'm seeing, all of these different things. The, the catcher. The catcher, the aggressiveness, how you frame it, how you spot it. It's, it's, it's part of the beautiful dance that is baseball. I think the best major league umpires would tell you they don't call the same balls and strikes. It might be just a eighth of an inch different, but it's still different depending on the game. So I guess I'll go to Riley first. I mean, what do you think of that element? It seems as if you never. I would never want the strike zone automated. Like when they have the square on the thing, and the the ump is calling, you know, the low and outside slider a strike, and it's right outside the box. 
it's a strike because the ump said it was a strike. I don't care what the box says. I agree with you. I, I think baseball, this is where I'm having a hard time accepting it because baseball strike zone, the aspect of knowing that each umpire is different, and I know we keep going back to the term human element, but it's very true when it comes to a strike zone. I have a hard time accepting that. I think that's always going to be kind of a gray area where it's 95% of the time, okay, that that pitch is going to be a strike. What Justin was saying about tennis, for sure. Now, that's a different side of things. It's either in or it's out. There's there's no gray area in between. But then I want to bring in another sport to this, Justin, and Coulter, whoever wants to kind of attack this one is football. And I think everybody or most people listening here have an interest in football. And the thought of having pass interference or anything decided, I mean, we, we talk about all the, the little things, the nuances that comes with officiating. They're throwing yellow pieces of cloth out there. They're wearing zebra suits. I mean, come on. It's all kind of hilarious in its own way. Artificial intelligence on top of it. I mean, in football, it would be kind of crazy. Totally. And then that's what comes down to what would be also controversial because, Justin, you mentioned uh, in our previous discussion about not just the tangible things like in and out or, or a line, you know, is it in and out in a tennis match? But then you have, especially in contact sports, physical sports like basketball, for example, and Riley's about to hit the road to go to Eastern Washington. We've seen physical altercations in the last three Eastern Washington, Montana men's basketball games. Hard fouls, guys going to the ground, guys getting up, shoving each other, all these things. If you don't have referees or officials in that circumstance, in that situation, how do you manage that? How do you mitigate it? So, Justin, I mean... It, 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 what first of all, tell people about just artificial intelligence in general. There's no real way that an, an AI unit could then engage in the the emotional parts of officiating sports, right? Well, I don't I, I don't know the answer to that. I mean, we'll ha- we'll have to sort of see. I mean, even in the Australian Open, they still have the chair umpire, right? So there's still somebody that has to kind of adjudicate the match and the way these two competitors interact. Um, and that hasn't, that hasn't gone away yet. Um, you know, and then to your point about the strike zone in baseball, I mean, if baseball holds on, it tends to hold on to a lot of traditions. A lot of sports do that. But, you know, ultimately what you two were describing was a desire for the athletes to find consistency, right? Like you want the strike zone to be consistent. You want to know within a game, um, how the ref is calling it. And if you can eliminate that uncertainty and have it always be the same, you know, that's ultimately kind of what the athletes are looking for. I mean, it's a debatable point, but I, I think, like, the premise is we want consistency. Um, with regard to the artificial intelligence, I mean, I think people, where they kind of go wrong with AI is they think that it will assume a human form. Right, it's going to be some robot sitting dressed up in the in the striped uniform or sitting in the umpire's chair. It's it's not going to be that way. I mean, like take pass interference for example. You could develop an algorithm, and I can't remember the player's name, but there was uh, there was a call in the Super Bowl early on where you know the Bucks got a pass interference call, and the the ball was overthrown or there was debate about it being catchable, right? And, and for a pass interference call to be legit, the ball has to be catchable. Well, that's the sort of thing that, given enough computing power and enough data and enough speed, like that's a problem that an AI can solve. It can understand the speed that that receiver's running and the trajectory of the ball. And you know, we, we can't do it today, but down the road, computers get faster and faster and faster, and these algorithms train themselves. You know, that's machine learning. Like, there will be a day where a computer can make that call, 
um, with regard to the ball being catchable. Um, and I think we need to sort of prepare. I don't know if prepare is the right word, but I think we need to think about what that, what that future looks like. Because it's not like robot referees. It's having all these um, high-powered analytics at the referee's disposal so they can make better choices you know, in real time. Um, that, that's kind of my view of it. We're talking with Justin Angle, one of our favorite segments here on the show, A Business Angle, every other Tuesday here at the start of the 5 o'clock hour on Nuana's Now 1029 ESPN here in Missoula. And Justin, I think you led me right into it because part of this, I mean, on paper, absolutely, it's the right decision to make, right? Because we're going to get more accuracy and there's not going to be that gray area. But how much of this is maybe us fighting history and tradition because when you watch a baseball game you're used to an umpire behind the plate you're used to um players chipping back and forth about maybe a a call that's not 100 certain or not so how much of it because yeah you look at it on paper we should go to this because then you know you're going to have 100 accuracy how much of the fight or maybe this transition the next five to ten years however much the timeline may be is us just fighting the history and tradition of what we're used to with watching sports and the way that they're refereed or officiated? Yeah, I think that's a lot of it. I mean, I think some coaches probably view their job, part of their job is working the refs, right? And some coaches are better than it, better at it than others. Some coaches are able to persuade the refs and others antagonize the refs, and we can see that. We don't like to think that's a part of the game, but it is a part of the game. And, you know, if you're a coach that... That, that is good at that, you're going to hang on to that advantage and, and want the human element because, you know, it's an edge for you, that, that the fact that you can influence that human element. Um, you know, and I, and I do think, like, there, this is conduct between human beings. And you, you mentioned, Coulter, you know, when you have altercations on the floor, uh, we got to have a human element there to, to sort of adjudicate that and to make good decisions about fairness and so forth. The other kind of counterpoint to you know letting AIs and automation take all of this over, you know these, these algorithms are, are are not without bias. And we see this across uh, so many aspects of our society. We like to think that they're making correct decisions and rational decisions based on data, but the decisions they make are functions of. The, the algorithms that human beings construct. And so, yeah, if you're building in some sort of historical database of calls over time to sort of define to an AI what a call means, what a right or wrong refereeing decision is, if that's based on data with, with flaws and bias within it, we're just codifying that bias. And so, it, you know, AI and automation are certainly not the, the, the answer to all of our problems. Uh, in, in fact, they, they kind of introduce a whole host of problems. So I, I'm not arguing that, that the, the human element will, will, will be replaced completely, but I do think there are areas, and we see this in why it's, you know, it shouldn't be a surprise that it's taking hold in tennis first, because that's an area where technology can do better plenty of areas where I think humans can can and will continue to do better. I just makes me have a freak out thinking about a day someday where maybe none of us ever have jobs again because everything is just artificial intelligence. <laughs> if we if you watch Westworld, it will give you nightmares, I promise. And it's Justin Angle. He's a business professor at the University of Montana. Joins us every other Tuesday for a business angle presented by Blackfoot Communications. And 
Yeah, I totally agree with the premise of the human element needing to be a part of the game, particularly when it comes to the emotional standpoint. Like Robin Selvig, for example, at the University of Montana, that's part of the home court advantage. Is It's not just mm-hmm. the fans that are at Montana cheering. When, when Robin Selvig was the women's basketball coach for 38 years, the theatrics of Robin Selvig, the 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 performance. It was part of the reason people went to the games. It was part of the reason why the Lady Grizz were almost unbeatable at home because it wasn't just the negotiation and manipulation of the referees. He manipulated the entire environment to then give Montana this unbreakable home court advantage. And I think it's a it's a real thing. And I think that if we lost that, we would lose some of the humanity and some of the, the emotional uh, attachment of sports. So um, it'll be interesting to see if, if this is, continues to be pursued because I do think you're right, Jess. I think in some areas, it's it's a no brainer. But in others, I, I think it's it's risky at best. So, I mean, is there any other places where you think this is a, a slam dunk, and other places maybe where you're a little bit more tenuous or hesitant towards it? Yeah, I mean, I think I'm a little bit more bullish than the two of you on uh, the strike zone in baseball. Uh, I could see it taking hold there. Um, we see it used in other areas, you know, like that we've been able to replay buzzer shots in basketball for years. You see, you know, whatever administrators making decisions about intent after the fact on flagrant fouls. Um, and so, so some of that is kind of like dealing with that human element, um, and, you know, and trying to sort of enhance the ability for a human to make the right judgment given technology. Um, and I think probably the, the sports that involve the most person-to-person contact will be the last to adopt some of these things. I mean, I think trying to um, you know, develop, a, 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 whether it's an artificial intelligence or some sort of machine learning algorithm to sort of understand what a foul is or what passion interference is or, or, or intent when you're dealing with like unsportsmanlike conduct or a flagrant foul in basketball, those are probably going to be the last places because, you know, those are much more complex judgments. Um, and the context in which those events happen are very important. And a, and a human being watching it as part of it, um, that's probably where uh, it'll be the last place where, where any kind of technological supplementation will, will, will take hold. Well, Justin, there's a few weekends that I find myself at least uh, hinted into NASCAR. And, of course, this last weekend being the Daytona 500, this also posed the question right to me, too, to ask you, does artificial intelligence, uh, intelligence maybe eventually put NASCAR drivers out of business? I mean, could you see it being a possibility where we could have AI kind of basically running the cars uh, around the track for the Daytona 500 in 20, 30 years? Well, it depends on what we consider the sport to be, right? You know, is, is the sport who has the fastest car or is the sport who's the best driver or is it some combination of the two? You know, right now it's it's... You know, there's certain rules of standardization. I mean, that's sort of why they call it call some classes stock cars. And you see, like, in sailboat racing, it's called one design racing. So you sort of give everybody the exact same equipment and figure out who the best, uh, you know, the best driver is. Um, to me, like, that's that's the core of the sport. However, the core of the sport needs to be defined by you know, who the viewers are and, you know, and who the organizers are in a world where we're just trying to figure out the fastest, you know, who can make the fastest car to go around in circles. That's how we define it. 
if the technology is really driving, you know, what the sport is and how people make decisions around how the sport is run, then yeah, you're probably going to see, um, AI and automatic automated driving start to come in. And then I think there is like a big kind of question of safety of the driver. So are there artificial intelligence mechanisms, automatic driving mechanisms that can prevent some of the really bad accidents? You know, I don't know enough about that sport to really predict. It would seem like that would be a place where, you know, um, you're seeing that kind of technology in consumer level cars. Um, if we can save lives and allow people to compete at, at a high level um, based on driving ability, but prevent the errors in driving from being life-threatening, that might be an area where you know you see NASCAR move in that direction. Justin Angle, a business angle, right here on Nuanez Now. We're kind of building a little podcasting empire now between Riley's Inside the Den and Juana's Now, Big Sky Breakdown, Grizz Greats, but we also have Justin with the business angle and, of course, a new angle podcast as well. Justin, I know you got a new uh, release out today. Tell us a little bit more about what you got cooking at the new angle. Yeah, we released a, a really uh, thoughtful episode with Dr. Beverly Tatum. Uh, Beverly Tatum is a former president of Spelman College. Uh, she's a clinical psychologist. She's an expert on race um, and higher education. She's actually going to be visiting with the University of Montana community on March 3rd as part of our presidential lecture series um, engagement, although it's, you know, normally these folks come to campus, but we're doing it uh, via Zoom this time around due to COVID. But yeah, I had a, had a great conversation with her, learned a lot. I mean, there's all these kind of like, you know, rhetoric and buzzwords around like systemic racism and dismantling racism. And a lot of like, a lot of this, this language is, is threatening to, to people. And, and Dr. Tatum was able to kind of cut through it in such a way that, that I certainly came away from the conversation understanding these topics and their importance and the nuance within them um, much better than I did before. So I encourage folks to check that out. And I encourage folks to check out that presidential lecture series talk on the, uh, on the third because it's open to the public. Yeah, so that was a good one. It's definitely something that I miss more than anything. I have gone to the majority of the president lecture series uh, Ever since I moved back to Missoula three and a half years ago, it's one of my favorite things, and uh, I, I got to get back involved on these zooms because I think that that would be definitely worthwhile. Well, one thing, one last thing for you, Justin. I know you have another new podcast coming out as well. I'm fascinated by this Fireline. Tell us more about your Fireline podcast because just from the brief description you gave us uh, in the email, man, it sounds fascinating and also very important. Yeah, so we're doing a, uh, this is like a side project, uh, uh, you know, a deep dive um, sort of investigative piece of journalism. You know, the, the a New Angle show, it's, it's sort of a new topic every week, right? We do these interviews, whereas I, I started out wanting to kind of interview a firefighter and a smoke jumper, and then I quickly realized that, like, hey, to kind of dip a toe into this fire topic, particularly in this community, that's not the right approach, like really need to go deep. And so that's what we've done. I've teamed up with a couple of young, hungry journalists, journalists in our community, Victor Iveas and Nick Mott, and we've got uh, distribution through Montana Public Radio. What we're doing is a six-part investigative series on what wildfire means um, for you know, our local community, for our planet, and sort of how do we understand this moment we're in 
And for us citizens, how do we understand what our responsibilities are to, to move us forward? Clearly, you know, the way we've approached wildfire over the years, um, you know, it's led to this kind of unsustainable position we're in. These fires are getting bigger, hotter, and more destructive, and um, it doesn't have to go that way. And so, you know, that, that series comes out on the 9th. We interview um, firefighters, policymakers, land managers, politicians, um, uh, scientists, and anybody in between to sort of help us understand wildfire. It's a complex issue, and uh, I'm excited for people to learn more about it. If you're sitting at home, or even if you're not sitting at home, if you're out and about, you're active, whatever, get on the podcast game. I promise you can educate yourself at such a high level. I do it all my all the time on my road trips, during my workouts. You can just learn so many things, including from these two great podcasts, the New Angle Podcast, as well as Fireline. Justin, I am very excited to check out the one you just described. I used to fight wildland firefighter. I was a wildland firefighter in, in college. I had to make a little money in the summers, and uh it's a fascinating um, bureaucracy in itself, but also a great pursuit. And uh, you know, you learn a lot doing it, and you also get to be outside in the great state of Montana. But I'm fascinated to consume this, and uh, we look forward to hearing more about it and giving you some feedback on it as well. But thanks so much for being with us today, as you always are, and uh, hope you're well, my man. We'll, we'll talk to you soon. And again, happy birthday to your wonderful daughter. Thanks, Justin. Indeed. Thanks, fellas. Be well. Justin Angle, a business angle, right here on Nuanez Now. Impressions of the new football coach in Bozeman and a little debate over the trajectory of Montana and Montana State football at this current moment in time. Right after this, right here on 1029 ESPN Missoula and stay wide on SWX Montana Television. Blackfoot Communications is actively supporting the communities we serve across Montana and Idaho. We are installing hundreds of miles of fiber in our service territories, increasing the broadband experience in our rural communities. We are delivering remote workforce solutions for our business communities. We are creating new, innovative solutions for our local entrepreneurs and enterprise organizations. Learn how your company can benefit. Call today at 541-5000 or go to blackfootbusiness.com. Blackfoot Communications. Connect to more. Hey everybody. Hope you're having a wonderful Tuesday afternoon. I almost said Thursday. I don't even know. I don't even know what day it is anymore. You've had a nice, relaxing. <laughs> you haven't been on the run or doing anything oh, today, right? Oh gosh, I was. Tell us your day. I was. I was panicked yesterday, just for a minute, and this had nothing to do with anything but circumstance. So, because of all of the guests I needed to have on the show, I needed to broadcast the show from multiple different locations. It's impossible to move a live radio show. While doing it. So I wasn't going to just be driving through Bozeman talking into a tablet. That wasn't going to happen. So I had planned on having the first part of the show pre-recorded because I had pre-recorded my second and third segments because I had the audio from Travis DeCure, Danny Sprinkle, and uh, the various Montana, Montana State men's basketball players. Then I had planned on interviewing Brent Vegan at 3 p.m., but instead uh, he got caught up uh, house hunting, which is a unenviable task in Bozeman, Montana at this exact moment. Even if you are the new ball coach, it ain't easy. So I had to reschedule with him for four. So then I was thinking, okay, well, I uh, I got to do it at four. We're just going to go live. 
that was fine. We were able to kind of just seamlessly hit the ground running. But then because we're on campus and there's so, I mean, you know this, at the athletic departments, it's such hardcore COVID protocols. Yep. Like you have to, I mean, I had to plan this for like a week to even just be able to go in there and, and get this one-on-one. And, you know, I had to tell them, like, I, you know, I've been testing all this stuff. So then I had to go somewhere else to host with Ty Gregorak because Coach Gregorak, he, it's not that he's not allowed at Montana State. It's just that you just can't have all these strangers coming in. There was no for us to do it at the football offices. In the meantime, Montana State's basketball team is getting shut down. And so then it was like, well, is this COVID Central? Where are we at? I don't know. I got to get out of here. So then I'm driving across Bozeman to go pull in. Uh, to one of my favorite restaurants there in Bozeman. And so then we were able to get the, the show done. And so then today, Brent Vegan was introduced uh, officially, 11 o'clock this morning. And I thought it was just going to be a, you know kind of a quick and dirty 30-minute deal. He actually gave like a 40 to 42-minute opening speech. Wow. Which, and it was very good. And we'll share some of that on the show later on this week. But um, then, so then it was noon. And I do my This Week in Big Sky Conference basketball with the Big Sky uh, Conference folks, Denise Thompson and Mary Louise Cook. And so I couldn't be doing that in my car. I needed to be, because it's actually a video that we do on YouTube. So I had to have my face in there. So I'm doing that. And then I had to catch up with Coach Sprinkle before I hit the road. So basically, I'm just sitting here knocking all this stuff out, being just looking at the clock, looking at the clock. I got to go. I got to go. So then we were able to hit the ground running and got here six minutes before showtime. But I couldn't do it without you. Riley Corcoran, by the way, in studio with me. He's the voice of the Grizz. More importantly, this is a good friend because he bailed me out all over the place. So, But the whole point is it was worth it. It was worth the, the time. I, I tell you this. Here's my number one impression of what I got done in Bozeman between Saturday and this afternoon. Real human interaction. Zoom sucks. Terrible. It's terrible, man. It's so weird. It's weird if you know the people well. Like We know Coach DeCure well enough now. He's been here for seven years. We know some of the players. But like the players that are new players, it's terrible, man. Like... We're talking to Robbie Beasley. Like, he doesn't know who I am. He's never seen me. He doesn't know my background. He doesn't know that you're around or just around like, yeah. or, you know, mm-hmm. and, you, and there's no ability to just like shoot the breeze and, you know, hey, I'm a University of Montana alum or I've covered the league for this slide, whatever. It's just in, out, all business, all talking, and it's, it's, it's brutal. So I, I, you know, honestly, I didn't have much of an impression after Brett Vegan's first press conference with the media last Wednesday because everybody in the state of Montana was on that call. So we are all under instructions. You know, it's a 40-minute window for the Zoom. We all only got one question. I was going to so say, you, yeah. So you raise your hand, you ask your question, move on. So you have no ability to, like, follow up or add any context or nuance to it. So I really had no impression. That's why I was so gung-ho about getting a, a one-on-one because I just wanted to, you know, I want to shake his hand. I want to be in the same room as him. I want to look at him in the face. And so then I did. I, did. I was able to spend about an hour with him. And uh, it, it, it accentuated my impression of, of Brent Vegan. He has a, a presence about him, for sure. He is a, I think he's going to be a pretty no-nonsense type of coach. Uh, I was very interested to see what he was like. But this was actually an interesting one. I got some feedback from a couple people that have been around college sports for a while that have you know, followed sports in rural areas like Montana. And two different people that are completely unconnected from each other but are both big Bobcat supporters, and you know who you are if you're listening, they both said that Brent Vegan reminded them of Tom Osborne. That's very interesting because who is Craig Bowles' mentor? Tom Osborne. Craig Bowles started his career as a defensive assistant for the Nebraska Cornhuskers in the 90s when Nebraska was rolling. And then Craig Bowles then took over the NDSU job in 2003 and kind of took Brett Vegan under his wing, and they've worked together for you know the better part of the last two decades. And I think that... Um, once I heard that, I thought, wow, that's that actually is sort of similar. I don't, I don't think Brent Vegan's going to be the the charismatic, you know, 
talking about everything under the sun. I mean, Jeff Choate is seriously. I was telling a, a, a member of the uh, athletic department from Montana State. I think Choate's a really good football coach. I think he's he, he'll be if he stays as far as being a defensive assistant for a while. I think he's a rising star. I mean, he already is a his, his star has risen. He's at Texas for God's sake. So you know, it doesn't get much better than that. But Choate is better at analyzing the state of the game of football than any person that I've ever been around. He could go be an analyst on one of the studios. No shows. question could. And I don't necessarily think that that necessarily makes you the greatest football coach in the world. In fact, I think it could be in distraction a lot of times. I think Choate stayed up at night uh, thinking about all the ways uh, he could make Montana State or the Big Sky better, not in football ways, but like how are we going to build an indoor practice facility? How are we going to get this Bush League to you know fix the schedule? You know, right. like just little things like that. And so I don't I don't know if that's an advantage for you as a coach or not. I don't think that it is. All that said, though, I think that Brett Vegan, so much about success when it comes to coaching hirings, is it's it's about place and time. And I think that even though Vegan will never be able to fill Choate's shoes in certain elements, I think he could be superior to Choate in other elements. And if those elements are the elements that Montana State needs right now and into the future. That's exactly, I think it's it's a successful hire. And I think right now, too, the big question to me is how much is Brent Vegan living or at least feeling the shadow of Jeff Choate as he takes this job and in more the immediate future? As far as how much of it is he needs to be himself and feel comfortable kind of branching away or how much of it is, hey, I need to kind of take the Jeff Choate blueprint and kind of move forward of it. Where do you kind of stand as far as the, Brent Vegan trying to be outside the shadow of Jeff Choate. The the comparisons, how right. fair are they? How long are they fair for? I mean, that to me is a big element too is Brent Vegan, for lack of a better term, goes to spread his wings and kind of sprinkle his DNA all over this Bobcat football program. Yeah, I mean, that's a very interesting question. I think that Choate, and if you want to check, I'm doing a six-part series about Jeff Choate. I've gotten a ton of feedback on it on social media and on the message boards. I appreciate it. Read the piece before you go at it on Twitter, though, because there's well, a lot of people that are loving it. And you're there's telling also, me people just man. read the headline and then go to but a was, message board? Getting, no way. I was getting ripped at, on by a couple of Grizz people saying, I mean, this guy went 28 and 22. He didn't even win a Big Sky Championship. Does he really need a six-part series? Well, first of all, if you're on the inside of what their program was and what it became, Jeff Choate had a tremendous influence on it. And I think that he, more important than any other factor, Jeff Choate helped Montana State football catch up to the institutional momentum that exists on campus. That is huge. And it wasn't necessarily about football games. It was about the way he spoke. It was about the way he marketed the program. It was about the way he rose, uh, raised all that money. That's essential. Montana State needed it to happen. But So I'm doing this six-part series. The other part of the thing is it's just it's just logistics, people. Choke talked a million miles a minute. I got a 1,000 pages of Word documents on my computer. You got to use them. I got to use them. Use those quotes. I got to use them. We need content. We've been content started. I haven't covered a football game since December of 2019. <laughs> and Jeff Choate's going to get interviewed like twice a year now. Being exactly. 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 So. Regardless, the pillars of Choate, a six-part series of the way Choate influenced the MSU football program. And the number one, the first story of the series, he talked about Take empowering the people in his organization and adding joy and adding um, adding good things to their lives, adding worthwhile parts of just existence to their lives, and adding value to their lives. That's what he always says: add value to your life. That was by and large missing when Jeff Cho took over at Montana State. 
I think one place where Brett Vegan, first of all, Brett Vegan has already directly addressed this with me twice, that he's not going to try to be Cho- Coach Cho. He's not trying to fill Coach Cho's shoes. He's defining the program for himself. But the other thing is, though, now at Montana State, there's an infrastructure that already exists. So Jeff Choate was the first person to give them a fueling station, the first person to have all the student-athlete welfare be a high priority, the first person to to take care of his players on that level that Montana State's seen in at least a decade. I can't speak to what Mike Kramer was doing because I was still in college and, and covering football over here at the University of Montana. But certainly it was it was a far cry and a, a big upgrade from what they had under uh, the, the previous coaching regime before Choate took over. That's not going away anymore, though. Like Montana State has a registered dietitian. They're the only school in the Big State Conference that has that. They have all of this infrastructure and so in terms of like the player welfare and, and that sort of thing that's not going anywhere so vegan doesn't have to replicate Choate in that because Choate's legacy in that realm is going to always exist so I, I think that that gives it a little bit I mean I think the worst thing you could possibly do as a head coach is try to replicate anything that came before you and honestly I don't really think of any I can't really think of any examples of guys that really have Unless they were like taking over for their predecessor, uh, it was kind of like an internal impo- appointment. Maybe a North Dakota State type sure. deal where it's okay, sure. just internally don't don't wreck the car, basically. Sure. To me, I always think it's the guys that go completely opposite that sort of forget about what makes up the fabric of a program that are just a uh, train wreck waiting to happen. Like Ty Gregory said this on the show yesterday. When you're at a place like Montana. There's certain little things that have just been a part of the tradition for decades. You just can't get rid of Grizz Jacks. You just do Grizz Jacks. That's what you do. And like when I first started going to practice, when Bob Sims, the coach, they're not doing Grizz Jacks, I'm like, what's going on? They used to be like the number one thing as a media guy you're watching. Like, oh, okay, it's time for practice. Now we're going to go. They're done stretching. So I do think that some stuff is going to remain and some stuff I think will become Brett Vegan's own. But overall, you know, it's funny because the process was long and drawn out. It was a high-profile search that was sort of meandering. It was highly publicized, particularly because of some of the national names that were involved in the search. Bruce Feldman has the contact info of every single Power 5 assistant in the country, I'm pretty sure. And so then all of a sudden when you're in the mix and he's tweeting about you because you're one of his guys, it gets your search an elevated level of exposure. You know, when Jeff Fisher's people are getting a hold of Skyline Sports, like all of a sudden, you know, this is a high-level search. And so I think it made it look like it was more of a goat show than it actually was. And at the end of the day, then all of a sudden they got the guy that thinks the right fit. They got the guy who's a, you know, NDSU Wyoming cowboy who's going to fit into Montana pretty darn good and – I think that, you know, even though it was maybe not as quick as people wanted, I think that they got the right guy. And uh, I think it, but at least, I, here's my biggest question. I don't know what's going to be long-term under Brent Vegan. I think that Brent Vegan's a good hire for now. Like, I, I, I'm pretty confident that Montana State's going to be pretty darn good next year with Coach Vegan at the helm. And I think, too, that was our raw reaction initially when it happened. And a week after the fact, I still stand on that pedestal in the sense of, Okay, this is the right guy for the job. He checks all the boxes coming in. Yes, it took a while. So you're saying that the MSU Athletic Department, they they still would talk to you face-to-face. I didn't know if you ruffled any feathers during the coaching search, of course, with uh, getting all that info out there, Coulter. But you, you look at it with Brent Vegan, and he seems someone that is uh, very comfortable in his own skin right away. And to be able to absolutely come out and deliver an over-40-minute address today, it just it seems right. It fits right over there at Montana State. And what happens in the near future, that's the biggest question of it all. I guess that the angle that I think I, I talked to you about last week on the show and you sitting down with him, and I think maybe the biggest part to his success is what? In the state of Montana, how right. how far or how close do you think the gap is narrowed for him 
as far as understanding what he has walked into here, especially with, you know, the university that's here in Missoula as well. How much of that, or is it is that still down the road a little bit? Uh, Brett Vegan is in for a rude awakening when it comes to that element of this job because he was asked about it prevalently, both last Wednesday in our one-on-one and then today. Three different times he was asked about it. He compared it to um, North Dakota, North Dakota State. Yeah. That ain't it. Uh-uh. That ain't it. Not those, close. Those teams, that, that was it when he was playing at North Dakota State in the 90s when they were both in the same conference. So they're both in the North Central Conference. They're both Division Two. It, it was a fierce rivalry. Still not on par with Cacarets, but a lot fiercer. But then the two schools went completely different paths to get back to where they are now. I mean, people forget that NDSU moved up, what, five years earlier to Division One than, than UND did. NDSU, because they moved up earlier, didn't play North Dakota for years. I mean, I think that a couple, I think 2017 maybe was the renewal of the rivalry. They didn't play for close to 15 years, and they weren't even in the same conference. I mean, North Dakota State basically made sure UND didn't even get into the Missouri Valley Football Conference for until they left the Big Sky. They made them have a little soiree with the Big Sky for almost a decade before they actually let them in the same league. So uh, I, I do think that part's distinctly different. I also think, though, that that's something that needs to be redefined about the rivalry, particularly on the Bobcats side. Again, it all goes back to the complete analysis of Jeff Cho. Cho is a good coach. The guys that preceded him were also good coaches. The reason that the fan base is obsessed with Jeff Cho is because he went 4-0 against the Grizz. Period. And like it needs to be redefined that there's other elements of success. I get it's a big deal. But I was telling my brother it's not this. not the only I year. was telling my brother this when we were leaving the thing. I said, you know what would be just so ironic and also just so fitting for this entire thing is if Brent Vegan is the head coach for Montana State for 10 years and he actually does lead him to a national championship but goes like 3-7 and seven against the Grizz. What's his legacy? What's his legacy? Because there would be so many people that would be so mad that they weren't beating the Grizz. Like imagine if he lost to the Grizz in a year that was that was like their lone loss and then they went on a run all the way to the title game or won the title. Well, is it what that- would it be remembered like? I mean, I just it was it's so interesting. And I'm not I'm not just criticizing Bobcat fans because I think there's people on the Grizz side that are like this too. They got to just get over like it is a paramount game, but it's also not the end all to be all. At the end of the day, objectively, you want to hang banners and win trophies. And I'm talking about trophies that say Big Sky Conference. They want they say champion on it, not Great Divide trophy on it. So I just I think that maybe we need to get it locked back in on the perspective here. Well, the the best hypothetical question out there that we get asked all the time, and that you ask fan bases with both the Grizz and the Cats over the past, uh, ever since we've started talking about the debate here uh, of football back and forth, is would you rather win a national championship? or beat the Cats, or beat the Grizz. I mean, and it's crazy that that's even a question right. that people are asking. Exactly. I mean, national titles, what? I mean, you okay, can't let's, count on let's, one hand. Let's put this into perspective. North Dakota State's lost eight games in the last nine years. Mm-hmm. Three of them been to South Dakota State. Mm-hmm. They've lost South Dakota State in three different seasons in which they won the national championship. That's it, and that's all. If you win the national championship, the rivalry is secondary. I'm not saying it's not important. It's incredibly important. And it always will be. It always will be. But it's not the end all to be all, and it's also the stepping stone. Honestly, I think twofold. One, beating the rival could be the thing that thrusts you into the playoffs with great momentum to go on a run. But also, though, I think that there's a certain element. I mean, we, let's say when the streak was snapped, there was a, I, I'm trying to think of which year it was under Mike Kern, but there was a year where the Cats beat the Grizz and the Grizz went to the national championship game because it made the Grizz so mad that they went on a run. So I think that there's a lot of elements that go into it. It's not the end all be all. The point of the story is, 
if you're firing coaches for overall performance, that's fine. If you're firing coaches just because of rivalry results, that's where you're going to get completely up a creek. So we need to uh, reel that in just a little bit. A little bit more on uh, the dynamic between the Cats and the Grizz, the trajectory of the football program as we wrap this thing up on a Tuesday. It's Nuanas Now, 1029 ESPN Missoula, as well as statewide on SWX Montana Television. Hi, this is Kim from the Wingate in Missoula. If you need a break from the everyday same old, same old, we want to be your home away from home. With comfortable rooms, a great breakfast, and a super fun indoor water park, the Wingate of Missoula is the ideal place for a quick getaway without having to go away. Let us give your family a little quality time together or ask us about our birthday parties. Work like an adult, play like a child, and sleep like a baby at the Wingate of Missoula. Time just flies by when you're having fun. Hopefully you're having fun with us on Nuanas Now. Riley Corker joining me, Coulter Nuanas, as he does every single Tuesday. We're so happy to have him aboard. This has been working out pretty great for me. It's been pretty fun having my uh, my arsenal of great co-hosts to go to. Uh, if you missed anything in today's show, you always find it on the podcast. The podcast is available on all of your various podcasting platforms, as well as on the station website, 1029ESPN.com. Please rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. Uh, great show today. Talked Michael Stebbin in the transfer portal, a little analysis of Grizz basketball. Heard from Danny Sprinkle. His team had their games canceled this weekend. Montana State will not play Idaho State in men's basketball. Also have Treasure State Stars highlighting some of the best performances from all winter sports from across the state of Montana. And also had... A business angle with Justin Angle from the University of Montana as well. Sean Rainey from SWX Montana Television will be swinging by tomorrow. Shante Leggins, Eastern Washington head men's basketball coach, going to join us on the ESPN Roundtable. And uh, got a couple of other interviews lined up as well. You wanted to talk, we don't have much time, so we're going to revisit this next week for sure, but we only got about a minute. But you wanted to talk about the, the trajectory between the two programs of Montana, Montana State football, and I, it's an interesting question. I think so, too. I mean, right now, this is a, a good tease for next week when we let all of this digest a little bit about what's yeah. happening over in Bozeman and, and really what it means from the Grizz side of things because let's call it what it is. The rivalry has been one-sided the last couple of years. Is this the door that needs to be open for Montana? Do they pounce on it? How much do they pounce on it? Brent Vegan's response to it. I mean, there's so many questions, and I know that our faithful listeners and viewers out there across the state will be intrigued. So, that's a very big broadcast season. you got to love it with your Arsenal co-host here. You can tease something Tuesday for the next Monday. That's right. So make sure right. you tune in for that. But, yes, I can't wait. It's a fascinating topic. I'll give you my 30-second my take on this. I think that Montana has unbelievable momentum within their football program because of the return of one of the favorite sons that the program has ever had in Bobby Houck, as well as the uh, crown jewel that is the Champion Center. That said, Montana State is keeping up in the arms race with their new facility about to be. It's finally starting to feel like winter around here, and if you need some nice winter gear, how about the fine folks at Sitka? They make awesome winter clothes, and they sell custom Bobcat Sitka gear at the MSU Bookstore. You can shop online anytime at msubookstore.org, or of course you can check out the MSU Bookstore 
live and in person there on the Montana State campus. They also have some graduation regalia back in order there at the MSU Bookstore. They have an awesome American Indian Council selection as well. Visit on campus anytime you need blue and gold or visit online anytime, anywhere, msubookstore.org. MSU Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day located there on the Montana State campus.